Welcome to the Born to Write podcast, dedicated to writers, authors, and the art of storytelling. Go behind the scenes where writers reveal their ups and downs and how they finally shared their stories with the world. Now, here is your host, Azul Tarones. Hey everyone, welcome to Born to Write. I'm so glad that you're here and really excited about today's guest, mainly because I was totally enthralled in his book. Larry Rule, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, what, was, what struck me is before I read your book, I got the chance to dive into a little bit of your website to learn about you. And what I discovered was that interests me the most in the initial phase of reading your book was how you decided to write this book. Like that you decided that you would recluse yourself into a a space and write it. And so I wanted to start there, if that's okay, because that intrigued me because it was a very safe thing to do. And yet everything about it was scary to me when I, when I read that you did this. So (laughs) tell us about what, what you did to get this book out of you. How did you decide to write this book? And we'll talk in reverse then what the book's about. That sounds great. Yeah. You know, I was brought up in a family where, you know, writing was not encouraged at all, especially any sort of journal writing or anywhere that, you know, things would be revealed. So when I decided to start using writing to start shedding some shame and start dealing with some of the things that had happened, you know, I was nervous. You know, I felt really nervous. I got stirred up. Writing at home was challenging for me. I didn't even feel safe in my own home sometimes with some of the things I knew I needed to say. So I sought out places to go And I ended up going to a Russian Orthodox monastery about an hour and a half from where I live. And, you know, I'd done research on meditation centers and retreat centers and writing workshops, and nothing felt right to me. So when I found this Russian Orthodox monastery, something resonated, and I thought, this is where you need to go. And it was like you paid a nominal fee to spend the night, and I think I stayed three or four nights. And in addition to that, I contributed and helped them with some like chores and whatnot. But this monastery comprised, was comprised of like 11 monks. And I followed their routine, their structure of their day. And, you know, that allowed me, by following their structure, allowed me some time to, you know, clear my head. And then in the afternoons, there was this period from like two to five that was mine. And I used those three hours each day to just purge and write in the safety of my room. Right. And I found that fascinating because you, you stepped out of what seemed like the safety of a home, of your own home, or into mm-hmm. a space you created into someone else's space that actually probably had everything in your mind going, hmm, is this the safest place to be telling the story? What if they ask me why I'm here? Mm-hmm. What went across your mind as you sat there and first sat to break bread with these these individuals? Yeah, you know, that's that's great. I, you know, I was like I said, I was I was nervous about going, and I wondered if it was the right fit. And the first night there, I arrived like late in the afternoon, got settled in my room, and the first night at dinner, of course, one of the monks says, what are you doing here? And there I was. And so I said that I wanted to work on some writing, and I started asking questions. And sure enough, as the conversation went around the table, each one of them had something to say that showed me that I was in the right place, that I was safe, that I was safe to say what I needed to say. And that not only did they provide safety, but they understood different components of why I was there and what I needed to talk about. That felt somewhat remarkable to me, that I trusted my gut to go to this place. I walk in. I was, I've never been keen on organized religion, and here I am in this place, and I really nestled in. And they let it be known that, that I had made the right choice. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing. It's sort of like the beginning of this book was sort of the, the first step towards trusting the other because 
people were going to have to read this and either make a decision to let you in or not, or to trust you could trust them or not. And it sort of seemed not ironic, but intentional to have to take that first step before you wrote. And I thought, wow, that's really an amazing testament right. to you and, and your willingness to say, no, this has to be told despite any fears that sin sit my way. Yes. And there have been many fears <laughs> and they've looked like different things and different, you know, monsters as the years, as the three and a half years since I started out on writing this book uh, have unfolded, you know, different fears have morphed from different places. And, you know, it's taken some strong resilience at times and pushed through them, as I'm right. sure you can understand. Right. So when people talk about writing fears, it's one thing to have the set of fears. Well, what if no one likes this? What if this is not as good as it could be? You're talking about deeper fears. Tell us what was your biggest fear when you started to write something as personal as a memoir into your life? I think that in, you know, one of the biggest fears that came up for me was knowing that I was going to expose myself in such a vulnerable way. I was going to, I was going to tell my story the way that I believed I had to. I was going to talk about things, you know, like, you know, sexual abuse, my sexual identity, addiction, and all of those components that make up my story. I was putting out there to the world. So I wondered if I'd be safe. I wondered if I'd be judged. And I wondered if I would really, you know, be able to shed some shame, which is what I had hoped to do by writing the book. Right. And so stepping into a place of complete vulnerability, which is what I felt like you did in this book, I was captivated the whole time. And mainly because you so desperately wanted to see you through it as the reader, as a reader, understanding your struggle through sexual abuse, understanding the emotional abuse you were going through in the parents that you had, as well as being trapped in dealing with their sexuality. And then later on, you know, masquerading all these things through alcoholism. There's so many times that you that the reader, as I was reading it, felt like, I wish I could be there, right there with you. And even then thinking he probably wasn't ready for anybody to be there yet. It made me feel very endeared to you as a human being. What's the response since you wrote a book that's been so revealing and so vulnerable? Well, first of all, Azul, I just want to say that I think that you have just said the nicest thing that I've heard since I came out with this book. So I want to thank you. Thank you for that. Of course. It really touched my heart. You know, what I've heard now as a result of putting the story out there, I've been sort of amazed at who I've heard from. You know, social media is a fascinating thing. And, and just today, I was hearing from some people that I have known me since grade school. That was really moving to see somebody post the book on social media and say, you know, I knew this guy in second and third grade, and here he is with the story, and you must read it. You know, that's what I try to, that's what I'm focusing on. And I'm so moved every time one of those things happens. I almost feel like when I see one of those posts or I get an email or I get a message, I feel like for a second, I almost check out. You know, I'm just like, whoa, you know, this, and it sinks in later what they've, what they've said. The other thing that's so incredible is that I heard from a next door neighbor from growing up. And that really was a very moving message. I, I saw the name pop up. I was a little concerned about reading it. And she said to me, I am so sorry. I had no idea. I thought you lived in a loving home. And please know that I didn't know anything was wrong. I mean, what, I don't know, I couldn't think of anything more honest and touching than that. And I found it courageous on her part to have even read the book. Right, because it could exp maybe potentially expose themselves in, in a, a situation yeah. of yeah. culpa, like having known right. or suspected but not right. taking action. That's the big thing. That's, you just said it. I mean, that's the big question. It's like, 
you know, that comes up a lot. You know, people that suspected something was wrong or I thought something was a little off, but I didn't want to make waves or I didn't want to say. So that's, you're exactly right. Right. And, and so many times the things that, I, that really struck me in reading your book is you had to make choices in writing this. You could write a book that's a thousand pages long and still only touch the surface. So my wondering is, how did you choose the events, mm-hmm. the moments, the pain? Because it wasn't the only pain. It wasn't the only moment you could have chosen. How did you, as a writer, you know, sit down? And I know you were in a very time-constrained place where you're only writing for three hours a day, yet the bulk yeah. of the book was written in that time in the monastery. How did you make that choice? or did, How did you get guided to the choices that you made? I would say at the time at the monastery, I included so many vignettes, so many other stories that I thought at the time were really important. And as I started in on the editing process and really diving in and looking at it, the first round of decisions came from the place of, is this relevant to the message I'm trying to get out? Or does this distract the reader? Those were some tough questions for me to answer working with the editor. It was my first experience working with an editor. And I really, you know, she really forced me to look at those things. The second part of that and deciding which to include and which not to include happened from a place of rereading the story and saying, in this part, am I hurting anyone? Am I putting anyone in a, in a difficult position? Have I chosen my language carefully? And again, asking myself again, is it necessary for the message of the book? And I, you know, there were some tough choices there of things to take out, things that I felt were important, but ultimately I took out for one reason or another. And, but I think the end result helped me stay on message. I really do. And what would you say your message is? I mean, I know what I think it is, but what would you say sure. your message is? That you can shed shame and that healing is possible. Hmm. I found myself being super reflective on my own life. And I thought, wow, hmm. this is a powerful memoir because he's making me think about his life. And I didn't have, honestly, I had a lot of hurt for you, but I didn't have a lot of doubt that this was going to show up and make an impact on my life. I wondered what would happen. And what it did for me as I was reading is it made me recall my own moments in my life where shame has come up and how many times I've hid from it because I felt like no one would understand me or that no one sure. would appreciate me or accept me. And I think that's the power of your story is that it allows you to connect with yourself. There was dark places and I felt so powerless to do anything. I felt, I mean, I can't imagine how you must have felt being accosted and in your trapped in your own home, but I also wondered how it felt to step out of your home and still feel trapped. Like when you left as an adult into the world, it's still, there was still a sense of being trapped, of being yeah. locked and held captive in that space that was your mind, that was your home, that was your upbringing. What was it yeah. like going to those spots looking as you get closer to your adult life, the closer part to your real now life? How difficult mm-hmm. was that to walk towards the line of being vulnerable? Oh, that was tough. And yeah, I mean... There was so much of that time when I I kept trying to move on. You know, I'm, I'm somebody who doesn't sit still, right? I'm always moving. But I forget that I still take me with me wherever I go. And, you know, every time that I would make a move or think that I had made progress or that I was shedding something or moving forward or moving away from something, there I still was. And certainly in those early years when I was first getting out of my parents' home, my early years living in New York City, that happened a lot. It was like I would run and keep moving and try to feel like I was doing something and succumb to these bouts of depression or sadness or feeling so desperately alone that I couldn't understand where it was coming from. So, you know, and and it's funny, living through them is one thing, but then writing the book 
and having to go back into that mindset of what that felt like and try to find the words to, to say what that felt like. That was so hard. That was so incredibly difficult to sit with myself now and to find the words that equated to that experience. Right. And, and I could sense in the writing the shame that you've started to feel as an adult because you were doing things as an adult that you had control over were even just as hard to talk about because now you're supposed to have been the one making choices and you're still making choices that are impacted by your shame. And I imagine right. that was really hard to like sit down and say, how much of this can I let go of? And yet your messaging is that I'm doing it to heal and to let go of shame. That resonated powerfully that these are the reasons you're telling the story. Because in your book, your writing is so accessible. It's such a, a window into someone's life. I didn't feel like a voyeur in that I was peeking in. I felt like I was walking along with you. And wow. the friends that you had with you, I mean, I think of James, I think of your relationships, and I, I didn't know them any more than you let me. And so the main yeah. focus stayed with you. So I didn't get drawn into their lives any more than you allowed me to. So I felt there were so many wonderful moments that you as a writer, like the fact that you didn't spend all your time writing is surprising to me because you're, you're naturally gifted at this. I really thoroughly felt like I got to know you and experience the way that you wanted us to see the world. I mean, I'm just probably so much more that we could know, obviously, but I appreciated that about your writing style as well as your willingness to be vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. And you, so here's, let's talk about this. So when you're, when you're doing your writing, because I've helped several authors who write memoirs write, it's a long haul. Oh, yeah. The writing part might have happened in a short period of time, but it's figuring all, like the moment in which you decide you're going to write takes years to get to. And then yeah. the editing process, what to take out, because that's the hardest part, I think, about memoirs. Like your life is so vast. What was your decision to write? When did you make that decision? You know what? I'm going to write it as a book, and this is why, and this is how. Tell us about that process. Well, the... First time I actually sat down to write, it was a way to tackle, you know, of all things, Father's Day. You know, it was Mother's Day and Father's Day, since I've been estranged from my parents, were always tricky holidays for me. And so I used the Father's Day to say, all right, you know what, I got to find a way to, to shift this feeling that keeps coming up on these anniversary dates. So my first time writing was on Father's Day three and a half years ago, where I just sat and purged, you know, for a few hours. The challenge with that time was that I felt compelled to drink after. So I had just revealed all of this stuff and my instinct was to have a, I was having a craving. So I put my writing down for a long time for about six months until I entered the monastery to go and write with, you know, for those days. So the bulk of the story came out, but then after that, and the, when the process started setting in, when I, when I relied on a friend who was in the literary world to give me some direction, when she said, you know, you have, you have this first version, you have the bulk of the experience you need to work with an editor now. Have her, you know, pull it apart and really look at it and see where it can go. And then, of course, you know, the trouble comes is when you hire an editor, you get what's called, I got, in my experience, I got in return what's called an editor's report, where she sent me back this, you know, 12-page report on the rough draft of the manuscript. And it was all okay. I understood what she was saying and took the criticism well and the structure she was suggesting, that all was great. But at the very end, she said, you've done You've done the job of telling us about your story, but now you need to go back and show us how it felt. And Azul, I read that sentence, and I think I wept for about three days. <laughs> you know, and I, I, thought, I, know, I thought, I know what she is asking me to do, and I don't know that I can do that. Mm. And that was a turning point. That's when I had to make the decision 
that I was going to pursue this as a book and something very different than what I had already done. Showing them how it makes you feel is the most challenging part of it all. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, you know, in my ego, I thought that I had done the hard part already. You know, I had 90,000 words that I wrote out with those at that monastery. You know, I, I was like, I was ready. And boy, did I get an education. <laughs> right. It's your connection to your story that's actually the most powerful part. Right. Uh, not just the telling, right? So, so you went through that process. How long did that take you to sit down and go, okay, what do you mean? How did it make me feel? When? I mean, it's, that yeah. must have been like, to me, I would have taken a deep breath and maybe not have let go. It's such an overwhelming thought. What was your first step? How did you tackle that? It was about a six month process with her. And the way that she worked with me was one chapter at a time. We did not move on to chapter two until chapter one was finished and polished. That was the way that she liked to work. And it really helped curtail my impatience. You know, it allowed me to really stay focused in whatever chapter it was. Of course, the downside of that is I'm reliving and re-experiencing whatever happens in, you know, within those brackets of the chapter and having to sit in it. And, you know, I would send the version back to her and she would say, you're really onto something here. But in this instance, what was going through your body? How was, how are you feeling? What was in your mind? And you know, that was tough. And she was the first one to really talk to me about, you know, talking about my parents and including the the loving parts. And that was a real shift in coming up and having to talk about how it really felt because she was asking me to connect to the love that I felt for my parents. And that was, that was very, very emotional, very difficult for me. Right. You were anticipating the, the other feelings being difficult. Maybe these were just as difficult to talk about, maybe even more. Absolutely. In my case, I think they were more difficult because I have these, you know, I have a mentally ill mother and I have a, you know, a sexually abusive father. And, you know, I need to shed light on where I came from and what those, what the good moments looked like and when, when they happened. And they were, they're an important part of the story. They really are. They're an important part of your story. Absolutely. Yeah. Because looking in back at your childness and only experiencing sadness, despite the fact that it maybe the bulk of it was, is just as important for understanding your shame as it is for understanding your, your ability to thrive and live and be happy. Yes. And it helped me understand some of the shame that I was carrying that, you know, was really never mind, meant to be mine to begin with. Right. You know, there's just so much of that. I mean, there's so much, you know, especially with my dad and manipulation and the way. So, so going through that process of writing and, and working with the editor, really allowed me to start to untangle and look at those different threads and say, okay, you know, I can talk about this now. Maybe I'm not so ready to go here, you know, and, and certainly there's, you know, there are a few pockets of unfinished business, but I think that's true for any writer, really. So once you found this editor, it sounds like it was a wonderful experience. Editors have that magical power in my mind to make what you want to say happen, despite yeah. the fears or doubts or your inability to craft it at the first moment. Once you had the editor relationship and you were trusting this editor, when did you know it would be ready to share with somebody else, like an agent, or what was your next step for you starting to use this book as a, an opportunity to share with the bigger world? That's funny. That's a, that's, a, that's a funny question because I did not have the easiest time. I had a close relationship. I had already signed with an agent. I had somebody from my past life that was a literary agent who was talking to me through this whole process. She introduced me to the editor. And it was all sort of formulated. So when I finished 
the first, you know, the first manuscript with the editor and it was all done and polished, you know, I gave it back to the agent and then of course it was in her hands and things really took a shift because it took her a long time to read. And when she did call a meeting, I was uncertain that she actually had read the manuscript because the questions and suggestions were coming up didn't relate to what I had given her. And that was a real awakening for me. It was a moment where I went up, I stood up for myself and I said, you know, I don't, this is not acceptable. What you're suggesting to me doesn't make sense in terms of the message I'm trying to get out. You know, she, um, there was comments about me, you know, wanting me to add levity and humor. And I just, it really made me feel queasy to hear that as part of my own story. So I terminated with her. And I just naturally thought that, you know, how hard can it be to find an agent? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm laughing now because um, you probably understand that it was not so easy. But I ended up finding a new agent a few months after that. And, and you know, he laid out a plan for me of exactly what he saw for my book and where it would land and how it would unfold. And I hesitated and I was back and forth and I didn't want to lose him. So I agreed. And he literally had the book sold in just a few weeks. Yeah. And it just, um, you know, it took me a long time to see that I'd made the right decision. But, you know, I, things really fell into place the way, better than I could have imagined. That's great to hear. And it's obvious that you, may, in my opinion, I mean, I'm not a literary agent. I'm not even a literary critic. But from reading lots of, of memoirs that have inspired me, I definitely, I felt on my end inspired. I didn't feel I felt I could, I was compelled to find an an opportunity every moment I could to read because I wanted to have the cathartic experience with you at the end. I wanted to make sure that this had a good ending, meaning that it had the outcome that you wanted it to have, even if it was going to be hard, even if it was uncertain. It wasn't certain. You did, you did a wonderful job of not just overly telling us what to expect. I felt uncertain. I felt hopeful, but I felt uncertain. So I felt like I needed to keep reading um, despite what could come because in the messaging, I wasn't certain because there was no, I mean, after so much hurt in your life, there was no promise that there would be happiness. And that's true for everybody, right? That's part of life. But the thing that about breaking the rules that really inspired me was that you stood up for yourself, that you made the decision that you wanted to love Larry. And that was pretty awesome, in my opinion. Um, Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about that process. Sold this book. The agent said, I sold this. This is awesome. I want people to understand, you know, it's not like, oh, okay, tomorrow the book comes out, even though you spent all this time polishing and writing. What was that like? Because I want people, because there are plenty of people who have an incredible story to tell. I just want them to be realistic and understand then what happened yeah. for you. So that's great. I signed the contract with the publisher in November of 2016, and the book just came out last week. So it gives sort of a a time frame of what happened from the time that I signed until the time it finished. And basically, it was a little bit of a hurry up and wait situation. There was like sort of buzz around signing the contract and getting the first round of cuts back to the publisher, which I did. And then nothing really happened for many months. And that was agony for me. That was just like, you know, I, I didn't really want to talk about the book yet. I still kept this very, very quiet. I would say 90% of my friends and people that I'm close to didn't even know that I had done this. And so it was signed and done, and then I entered this long waiting period. And then things started to really sort of ramp up this past fall, and 
know, by Christmas, that was pretty much done. But I will tell you, the tricky part for me was that each time the publisher had an edit or a suggestion or a change, you know, they would send it back to me and ask me to reread the whole manuscript. And each time I've had to reread my own story, it's difficult. It's still difficult. I still have to put it down. I still end up emotional. I still end up, you know, really looking and saying, my God, ugh, this is tough. And, you know, that process has been, that's been hard. It's been, you know, there are still times that I get you know, rattled by my own story and how the process unfolded. You know, it's, it's a long, it's a long process and it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about patience, taught me a lot about, you know, trusting and that's not so easy for me and for letting people do what they're meant to do. And that included my agent, included the publisher and the marketing people, you know, and putting my trust in them. Right. It's a, it's not just a book about words and a story. It's your story. It's your personal right. journey. How much of this had never been shared with really anybody until you put it into a book? I would say that the bulk of it has never been shared. Bits and pieces here and there, different stories to different people. But the comprehensive story of what happened, and you know, from the time that I was little until, you know, through my ways that I acted out as an adult, I would say that no one really knew other than my, my partner. And even with him, you know, it was, it came in fragments for him. And he read the first draft that I ended up selling. And, you know, he had a hard time with it too. He really did. He, he, he struggled with it in the beginning. And I wondered if he was going to support me moving forward with it, but he never faltered ever. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously we feel like we get to know you because we get to know your story, but all along during the process of you know, coming to terms with your fact that you had an upbringing where you didn't have control and you were abused and hurt emotionally, and then having to deal with your sexuality, which if that were only the only thing to have to deal with would be challenging enough. But as you were stumbling right. through figuring out your sexuality and having such a confusing time with it, trying to figure out your own sexuality, but also intimacy, because that's the part that really seemed to be the hardest part towards the end is like to establish a new intimate relationship with anyone, not just yourself included, right? As you were going through this process of writing this, I can only imagine how difficult it would be to just share how you're feeling about the intimate moments that were not happening in your current relationship, right? It wasn't like, oh, that's a different relationship. I don't have that anymore. It's your right. current marriage. What was that like? Just oh, leading yeah, that, that. that's tough. And that's, that remains, you know, part of my work. You know, people ask me, well, how are you now? And, you know, are you, you know, I love when people say, are you fixed? You know, that's such a funny question to me. You know, but those things, intimacy in relationships, intimacy with my, with my own partner, those are things that continue to, you know, continue to evolve and, and change and shift. And I still, you know, grapple with them many times. Talking about them, you know, like I said to you earlier about, you know, not sometimes not feeling safe in my own house. When I was having to write about those moments and the struggles, I could not be in my house. You know, he would come home or I'd hear the door slam or, and I would, it would really throw me off. So I found that even in the editing process, when I was editing those chapters and rewriting those chapters, I needed to get out of my own home. I felt like it was the only way that I could get a clear perspective of, you know, what I needed to say and to really touch and go deep into how, you know, my experience has affected my ability for, you know, to resonate with intimacy and with, and to have relationships. And, you know, sometimes I summarize and I think about it. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm a, I'm a gay man who was sexually abused by his dad. And even saying it out loud can throw me off a little bit. I'm like, all right, I need to sit with that for a while and see, and see how, where I can land with this. 
and really talk about it and and see you know what I can derive from the situation. Yeah, and I, I bet there was a lot of confusion not only for you but for the people that were in your life trying to wrestle through their own thinking about how they feel. Like people have their own emotions and feelings about your story. I'm sure people have had plenty to say whether it's in support or not about what they think. How do you, as an author, put yourself out there and then either shield yourself and or open yourself up to the opportunities that come from really sharing such a personal memoir? I think you just tapped into my brain to see where I am exactly right now as I stand here with you. (laughs) Because that's, you know, I'm, I'm in that, I'm in that process right now. And, you know, I had my first book reading a week ago on Sunday. And uh, we had a lot of people show up. It was the first time that I would be face-to-face with a crowd of people. And I had somebody asking questions, somebody that I know well enough, somebody who's a friend. So I felt safe with her questions, whatever was going to come my way. But when it was open up to the audience, you never know what you're going to get. And there were a few, there were a few questions that were, you know, challenging, you know, challenging, you know, questions. And I, I feel ready. I'm ready for those tough questions. I've been thrown some real doozies since then in the, the last 10 days. And I don't, I don't know what that is. I think that part of it is that I'm so ready to share my story in the hopes of showing other people that you can heal and shed shame and, and recover, whatever any of those things look like for you, I, that I feel like I'm ready to tackle the tough questions if it's going to help. You know, if somebody's going to hear the question and my answer will, some, you know, will somehow shed some light on the situation or a way to deal or a way to combat or how I personally handle things. You know, that's, it's been tough. I will admit there's been a few tough moments. I've been asked some tough things, but I feel ready. I truly feel ready in my heart to answer and to, you know, to stand behind my story. It often felt, and I think even you might have shared this on your blog or one of your interviews, that it felt as though you wondered if people would believe you. And I think unless you're a victim of abuse, you don't quite understand that the feelings of guilt that come from abuse. You don't understand what being vocal really means. What does it mean to you to have spoken out? You know, I feel empowerment in some ways, but I also feel, this might sound a little uh, naive, but I feel grown up. You know, I feel like I have, I've settled into my adulthood finally. You know, I feel like I, I now have this container for my entire childhood experience and my experience as it resulted, um, the result of what happened to me. I have this place now where all of that can reside and I can stand outside of it now. And I feel prepared and ready to do that. And there's something in it. And there, every time I hear from another survivor, or I hear from somebody who relates to something I've said, or somebody says, you know, I went through that too, or I acted out that way too. It just fortifies me. And I say, okay, I've made the right decision. You know, I had some, you know, right before I was signing the contract to publish to make this official, I had a real moment. I couldn't sign that contract. I I went right back to this young place and said, you know, am I doing the right thing? You know, I am telling on my family, on my parents. And the person that I went to really helped me navigate that time. What it boiled down to for me was, do I continue to protect my father, who was a pedophile, or do I put the story out in the hopes of helping other people? And, you know, it suddenly became this whole thing of this decision was made for me. And that's when I had a real shift. It's like your your younger self relented to your adult self. Totally. To be taken exactly. care of finally. To be finally yes. secure and safe enough to say it's time. Yes. So let's let's talk a little bit about what you'll do with this book now. I mean, it's just come out. It's a brand new book. 
it was a cathartic experience. It was a transformational. I think you have gained so much from this experience. And those of us who get the privilege to read it will have our own sort of reckoning, decision-making, like introspective moments. What do you hope to continue to do with your book or in the future for your writing self? I think that I felt when the book was coming out that it was my job to get the book done and to put it out to the universe, to put it out there, to have it be a resource for anyone that might you know, need it or might rely on it, might lean on it or take something away. And now that it's out, you know, I have felt like it's my job to support it in any way that I've been called upon to do. That's where I'm at right now. I did surprise myself a couple of weeks ago because the process was long and many times agonizing. I did surprise myself and say, you know, I think I'm ready to, to work on another book. So I think that, that I have it in me to do another one. I think that it's speaking to me. And I'm not sure that I'm ready to jump in quite yet, but I think that I'll certainly get started this year. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a creative guy, so... You know, I continue to sort of explore different forms of artwork and creating interiors. That's so important to me. I love to create spaces and create create spaces that people feel nurtured by. So that's something that just becomes a regular part of who I am. But I think I'm I think I'm definitely going to work on another book. What, I've got some ideas oh, floating good. around. Up there. That's what I wanted to know. I know you're just sharing about this book, but I'm always curious about what's floating around in your head. So I take things from what people say to me as as signs and indicators. And I think one of the things that I'm asked mostly about, how do I navigate day-to-day life? I've put this book out, I've shared my experience, but what does life look like for somebody who has suffered trauma or sexual abuse? Like, what does that look like? How do you navigate? How do you navigate triggers? How do you navigate when you get tripped up? Anxiety, depression, all of those moments, and sort of like a a day-to-day guide of how you can be more resilient. That speaks to me on a very deep level to talk about the experience of exactly how I, you know, wake up and face a new day. Yeah. Day one of sobriety, you know, would be probably a whole, could be an entire book, to be honest, because that's the, the one of the days you had to show up for yourself in a new way. That's so, right. I mean, I think that whatever you write, you, you're obviously very gifted in your ability to write as well as completely humble and tell a wonderful story. For all the survivors that are listening, those who find themselves to be a victim of any childhood abuse, but are, you know, dealing with shame and stepping into their own space, finding a place to go, this book, Breaking the Rules, is definitely a book for you. It's also for people that want to understand this challenge, this trauma, because I think a lot of people have a misconception of what it was like or not like to go through trauma. And to survive day by day, which is why I think your next book could be just such a powerful tool for people that are really survivors. And I think that's, you know, the term survivor, meaning that you're here because so many people, it's too hard. It's too difficult. Even if they're living, they're not surviving. They're just barely hanging on. How does this work that you're doing impact the community that you felt so close to now, other survivors? Yeah. You know, I had an email today from someone that I'm very close to. I know from the survivor community and they decided to read the book and, you know, and she just said, you know, thank you. You know, this is raw and powerful and it resonates. And that's incredible for me and somebody that I have an enormous amount of respect for. The other thing that's so important to me is how how my story resonates with men and women. You know, and I, I love that. I love having those conversations of how sometimes the effects of what we've gone through, are they the exact same regardless of gender? You know, the way that we deal, the way that we cope. And that's been really powerful to me. And I think that 
you know, hearing from people, Azul, I have to tell you, I heard from some people that I have known for 10 and 15 years in professional capacities and friendship capacities that never shared anything about their personal life with me who have come forward and said, me too. And not only that, but have said, I was sexually abused by my father also. That's been new for me, that I don't have that many people in my life who were sexually abused by their, by their fathers. And that has been, that's been huge for me to make those connections, to have those conversations and to say, you know, okay, you know, let's talk about this or not, let's order or not, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, I think that's the bravery it took to write your story to not just the physical part of writing it being therapeutic, but the bravery it took to share with the world to say uh, in this time where people are needing to hear that they're not alone. You took a brave step forward to share your story. I really look forward to, you know, sharing in the show notes, any of the links that you want people to know where there's resources for them, if they're stuck or if they haven't yet, you know, divulged what's gone on in their life. Is there anything that you'd want to share about where people could go to get support? I mean, certainly for men, the organization oneinsix.org is just incredible. You know, they offer great resources for men who are still, in many cases, you know, hiding in shame. And for women, Taking Back Ourselves is an organization that offers weekends of recovery for women. And then the RAIN Network, R-A-I-N-N, that's the national network, the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. They have everything you could possibly need. And that's a great way to get some information. You know, and for many survivors, they're too afraid to to speak out publicly or to you know even take out a book in some cases. So to sit home from the safety of your home and be able to start to look and realize that there are people you can talk to, that's like the first step. And then I did create a website for the for the book BreakingTheRules.com, and there's a contact information in there and and some resources listed as well. That for anybody that needed to reach out, I'm happy to do that. That's great, and that's Breaking the Rules. That's R U H L S. Because it's your last name, Breaking the Rules. I'm so grateful to have uh, had the opportunity to read your book and to have you on the show. Not only to talk about the writing process and the way, the really, I would say, very non-traditional, perhaps completely traditional way that you wrote this book and published it, but also the call that you answered to take writing in, in your life and make it mean something, making it worthwhile. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Join me again for another interview for great authors who talk about their story, how they got there, and why they feel like they're born to write. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave an honest review, and you can always find me at CoachAzul.com.